You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. It's so great to be with you this morning. And uh, would you stand with me as we, in honor of the reading of God's Word, and let's read uh, Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 4b, the paragraph heading, together, all the way through to verse 17. Listen to God's word. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or have already reached the goal. But I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us, then, who are mature be of the same mind. And if you think differently about anything, this, too, God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have attained. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. Amen. You may be seated. Lord, would you take this word and write it into our hearts? Amen. More than uh, 300 years before before Christ, Alexander the Great was on his great march across Asia Minor. He led the the greatest army that had ever been assembled, and they took country after country as they went. No one could stand against them. And when they finally got to the Himalaya mountains, the advance team came back to Alexander full of concern. And they said, we have marched off the map. We don't know where we are. And they said, we should go back to where we know. 
Alexander and his army had literally come to the end of the world as it was known in the West. They'd marched off the map. And Alexander listened to them and is reported to have said, mediocre, mediocre armies always stay within known areas. Truly great armies always march off the map. One of the interesting dynamics of God's stories that's recorded for us in Scripture is that God very frequently calls people to walk off the map, to venture into places hitherto unknown to them, places that are beyond their experience, places that they never even thought about going. Take Abraham and Sarai, for example, to, who are called by God to leave their land and their family and to, quote, go to a place where I lead you. God didn't tell them where they were going or what it would be like. God just said, go. And God promised them that they were going to be parents of a great nation, that the whole world was going to be blessed through them. But then years and years went by, and they never had any kids. And they got older and older. And along the way, they tried to figure out their own map, and God kept saying, just trust me. God called Moses to lead 12 tribes of Israel out of Egypt to what was described as the promised land. But in fact, none of them knew anything about this land. They'd been in Egypt for generations, for over 400 years. And Moses marched them right into the wilderness where they wandered around for 40 years. There were many times when they, all they wanted was some sort of a map. Or they just prefer to go back to Egypt, where they knew what it was going to be like. Esther, as a beautiful young Jewish woman, had a pretty clear idea of what, how she thought her life was going to go, until one day she almost accidentally ended up in a beauty pageant sponsored by the king of the realm, king of the land where her people were actually captives. And God marched her right off the map. Any plan that she could have imagined just changed when she became queen of the land. And later, when her people were threatened with the possibility of genocide, Esther's cousins suggested that she should be the one who goes to the king and begs for, uh, for mercy. For Esther, the only certainty in that idea was the possibility that, or the knowledge, the sure knowledge, that if she came into the king's presence unsummoned, that she would probably die. But her cousin said, how do you know but that you have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this? Maybe this off-the-map moment was exactly what God had been planning all along. And when Jesus walked on the earth, his, his followers had all sorts of moments that were clearly off the map for them. Uncharted territory, this ragtag group of fishermen and tax collectors and political activists and not very religious people. Just ordinary folks heard and seen Jesus. And every day for them was a new experience. One night they were, they were sailing across the Sea of Galilee. It would have been a long, hard day. Jesus didn't come with them and they were tired and since several of them were lifelong fishermen, this journey was a familiar one. Till one of them looked up and saw Jesus coming at them walking on the water. You can imagine, eyes as big as saucers. 
And then Peter, who had lived on and around the water all his life, said, I want to come to you. And Jesus just rather casually said, well, come on then. And Peter stepped out of the out of the boat into an experience that was completely off his map. And he was doing fine until he had occurred to him that this shouldn't be happening. And then he took his eyes off Jesus and started looking for security in what he knew. And he ended up sinking into the waves. So we come to our text for today. And it's the same for Paul. As a very young man, he had this incredible heritage as a, as a member of a distinguished family, as tremendous education. Not unlike many of our students who, who come here to the university. He had obvious opportunities laid out for him in his life. He could make all sorts of decisions about the particulars of his life, but because his, the map of his life was kind of available to him. But then something absolutely crazy happened to Paul. In the middle of a zealous persecution of the Christians, he had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. As it turned out, this Jesus, whom Paul thought was a dangerous false prophet and an enemy of his own people, actually turned out to be the Messiah that he'd been looking for. At that moment, his life turned, took a sudden turn and he walked right off the map. Life maps are important to us, aren't they? Not only because they provide some sort of direction and some sort of indication of where we are going and how we want to get there, but they also give us that sense of security and identity and worth and purpose and kind of control, and we like to be in control. What do you do? What do you say when somebody asks you, well, who are you? Well, we often tell them, what we do for a living, where we live, who we're related to. It's all a part of our map. Our sense of identity comes from these maps that have been given to us from our past and sometimes maps that we've created through the expectations or hopes, our hopes for the future. The vision that we have for our lives describes the possibilities that we can see. We ask our children, what do you want to do when you grow up? Or these new college students, what are you planning to study? If you had asked me that as a freshman, I would have said, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going into medicine. I'm going to be an anesthesiologist. I ended up putting people to sleep a different way, I guess. <laughs> Sometimes it's just based on a fantasy. Sometimes based on our interests or our assessment of our own abilities, perhaps encouragement of someone else or appreciation from someone we admire. But we create maps in our minds, expectations for a desired future. And sometimes the maps that we create in our heads describe our limitations and the dangers that we see. There are voices in most of our heads that remind us of past failures, of deep abuses, of circumstances which beat us up or addictions which hold us down, other things that we hate about ourselves. And those voices yell at us about our limitations and tell us what we can't do. Have you ever had one of those moments when you, you sort of had the sense that God was nudging you, sort of poking you in the ribs to do something really unexpected? And then that very next thought was, don't even think about it. 
That could never happen. I couldn't possibly do that. And we find ourselves standing on the edge of the map of our life, looking over into something else, and then slowly we retreat back into the familiar, back to the places where you either trust the good things that you know or are paralyzed by the things that are familiar limitations. My friend Rich Stearns, who's actually sitting right here in the front row and is a member of this congregation, always sort of reminds me of this kind of thing all the time. Rich grew up in a rather poor and dysfunctional family, but eventually he, he made it through college and graduate school on his own. And as it turned out, he had a lot of gifts for business and leadership, more than he expected even. And he ended up doing really, really well. And as a very, very young man, he shot up in the business world and soon found himself as the CEO of Parker Brothers, the game company. And then later on, he became CEO of Lenox China. Here's a guy who, who made it, who loved God, who felt that God had really blessed him. And then something really weird happened to Rich back in about 1998. One of his friends told him that uh, World Vision, a big that big relief and development organization that works with the poor and oppressed all over the world, that they were looking for a new president, and he thought Rich would make a great president. And Rich just kind of couldn't believe it. Oh, my gosh. Rich thought the guy was completely nuts. This was completely off Rich's map. It wasn't even close to the trajectory that he'd been thinking about for his life or where he thought about going. And if he ever did such a thing, it'd, it'd mean a tremendous cut in pay, the end of his corporate executive lifestyle, a move into the world that he knew virtually nothing about. And yet God kept poking him in the ribs about it. And little known to Rich, his friend actually put his name in the hopper for the position. <laughs> and eventually they came calling. And Rich ended up as president of World Vision. He walked completely off the map, which had defined his life and into the world of the poor and oppressed. As he describes it, you know, one day I was selling things that nobody really needed, and the next day I was working with people who couldn't buy anything. <laughs> you can read all about his story in a wonderful book called The Hole in Our Gospel, and I hope you read it. A story of somebody who just walks off the map. This is a church, one of those places that really messed with my life when I was a 25-year-old seminary graduate and newly wed. I became a pastor here, and, and UPC asked me um, to begin to work with college students, and I'd already walked off the map a little bit. I mean, after all, I was, had gone from being wanting to be a doctor to now finding myself as a, as, as a pastor. Not even sure how I did that, but... Little did I know that God was going to use this church and the people here to invite me to walk even further off the map, which I had for my life. There have been lots of times when I've wrestled with God over the years. I've had some big failures in what God called me to do. I've had times when I intentionally walked away from God's call and simply said, no, I won't, I can't, I just won't do that. But I got to tell you that from the time I arrived here in 1973 until this present moment, I have not had a single job that I anticipated doing, <laughs> including the one I'm doing now. 
One of the things that has always amazed me about this church has been your willingness to walk off the map. This church has been full of people who have been willing to take steps of faith, little steps of faith, big steps of faith in following Jesus when they didn't know where it was going to, where it was going to lead. Those of you who have been around for a long time know that some of the intensity of the conversations about some of the decisions over the years. This church has invited people to come here from the global church, missionaries and church leaders, provided a place of nurture and discipleship and sometimes healing and restoration for people who are really hurting from all over the place. This church has taken financial risks in relation to ministry here in the city and far beyond. You've invested in literally thousands of young people, university students and others who have impacted Christ now around the world, but who you knew at the time would probably never contribute much more directly to UPC. You've planted churches and open-handedly given yourselves away to other churches. People in this church have started new organizations, have contributed to ministries all over this city. You've been known over the years as a church where fellowship and mission and discipleship training have been valued and where young people have been nurtured and challenged. But friends, even that history has created a map for you. And maybe God is going to call you once again to walk off the map into something you haven't even dreamed about. I don't know. I was just in Washington, D.C. earlier this week, my wife and I, and uh, saw again John Russell Pope's uh, great architectural building, the National Archives. Now, some of you have been to the National Archives, great, uh, wonderful Federalist kind of uh, architectural building. It's surrounded by four giant limestone statues, each carved out of a 125-ton piece of limestone. And the one that was uh, done by Robert Aiken is, is on Pennsylvania Avenue, and it's called Future. And it's this woman sitting with an open book in her hand, and uh, it's probably a history book. And she's gazing up from the, from the book, obviously looking into the future. And the inscription at the bottom of the statue says, What is past is prologue. It's just prologue. There's much more to be seen. The past informs us, but it ought never to control us. God may well call us to march off a map. So, so what enabled Paul to live his life off the map? Well, one thing was that he had a vision of the crucified and resurrected Christ that was better and deeper and bolder than anything that the familiar patterns of his old life could offer. In his old life, Paul had status and education and great family heritage, but he did not have the freedom and forgiveness and assurance of God's love and the joy, of circumstance, uh, joy in all kinds of circumstances or eternal hope or the peace which God had promised his people and for which they were still looking he was kind of stuck, like 20th century Jewish philosopher Hannah Arendt, who said, who said the problem with life is that God has given us the ability to remember the past, but no power to change it. 
And God has given us the ability to imagine the future and no power to control it. So we're stuck in this present between a past that we can remember and can't change and a future that we can imagine and can't control. And then comes Jesus, who says, I can take your past and while I can't change it, I can redeem it. I can make it whole. I can use it. And here comes the resurrected Jesus who says, I hold the future in my hand. Paul had come to know the surpassing greatness of Christ, the fellowship of Christ's suffering, the power of the resurrection. What Christ has given him was way more value than anything in his past life. Where do you need to know the grace and love and forgiveness of Christ demonstrated on the cross? Where do you need to know the hope of the resurrection? Where do the old hurts or the abuses or the shame need to continue to be healed by Jesus in order to set you free to respond to God's divine nudges? Paul was also aware that in order to live off the map, he had to consciously leave what was behind. Paul had learned that you just can't have it both ways. It doesn't work to design a life according to your own expectations and then use Jesus as a little sugar coating to make it a little more fun. Many of us have tried to do that. I certainly have. We live on the edge of the old map. What are you holding on to for security? What are you trusting for identity and security and worth rather than Christ? These are actually things that the Bible calls idols. Where do you need to say to the old parts of your identity, whether it is good or bad, this does not define my potential or my limitations, and it certainly doesn't define God's call. God is bigger than all of that. And finally, Paul daily pressed forward toward Christ. He says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me, straining for what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul knew that Christ had grabbed a hold of him and that God had a plan for him, but he also knew that he could say no. But instead, he said yes. And every day, he kept saying yes and pressed forward, asking, Lord, how can I be a part of this new thing that you're doing today? Where do you need to fix your eyes on Jesus? Because you are moving so far out on a limb that you know that only God can hold you up there. God invites us into worship, into places like this, which is kind of off the map itself, where we can give up our old identities and hierarchies and limitations and dreams, where we can have a real conversation with God about what's really going on in our lives and understand what it means to listen to what God has for us. Ignatius Loyola, who founded the Jesuit order back in 1540, described the ideal Jesuit as someone who lived in the world with one foot raised. I love that picture. One foot raised, always ready to respond to the emerging opportunities. 
The Jesuits were to be quick and flexible and open to new ideas and changing opportunities in the world. Loyola said that the whole world should become our house, and it did. The Jesuits, the ten original Jesuits, literally walked off the map in their time. Within 20 years, they had founded the world's largest higher higher, uh, education network in the world at the time. No experience running schools. They somehow had 30 schools up and running within a decade. By late 18th century, they had 700 secondary and colleges, secondary schools and colleges on five continents. By 1700, they had already written nearly a thousand works of natural history and geography about Asia and Africa and Latin America. And today, there are more than 21,000 professionals in the Jesuits running 2,000 institutions in more than 100 countries. And if you don't think that's rather impressive, just consider the fact that of the 100 largest companies in the United States in 1900, only 16 of them are even in existence today. And the Jesuits are approaching 500 years. A number of years ago now, uh, well, several years ago now, our our daughter Emily, who was born into this congregation and is now a 32-year-old mother with kids of her own and all of those kinds of things, our daughter Emily, shortly before she began having children, uh, called me and said, Papa, would you take me to Africa? And I said, well, yeah. So uh, she wanted to see kids in Africa. She wanted to experience what it was like to be a teacher in Africa. And so I took her to Africa. We went to Rwanda and we went to a couple of areas down in the southern part of Rwanda, very poor part of the world where she got in touch and had the opportunity to be in some schools and to be all kinds of things. But one day, one day the World Vision staff in the area said, I'd like for you to meet a, a, a woman who has a story to tell. And, and my daughter and I and a translator were taken to the home of this beautiful young 39-year-old woman, a mud brick house, tiny, tiny little living room. We sat there. She was dressed up in her very best because she knew we were coming. And we listened to our story, her story. 1994, she had been in, she had been in the, uh, uh, during the genocide in Rwanda. She had lived in a, in a family compound with 54 members of her family. Her husband, her four children, her parents, her brothers and sisters and so forth, their families. And, and uh, they thought that the genocide wouldn't come to them out in this rural area. And, and they were Hutus and Tutsis all married together. But one night the militia did come. And that night she watched every member of her family killed, shot, macheted. She was gang raped. Her genitals were mutilated and she was left for dead. She made her way eventually into Burundi where she where she recovered and after several months, she didn't know what else to do. So she came back to her own village. She said, I brought two things with me that I hadn't, didn't have before. One, I was pregnant by one of my rapists. And secondly, I was now HIV positive. At that point, I said to her, how do you live with that? I mean, I don't even know how you live. She thought, I was saying, how do you make a living? So uh, she said, well, I, 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 I'm a day laborer. I, I have a hoe and I go out and I rent myself out to, as a day laborer in the fields of some of the poor farmers around here. And I hoe all day for enough food to feed my family. I said, no, 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 that's not what I meant. I said, how do you survive? How do you, 
how do you live with life when you suffer this kind of thing? And she said, oh. She jumps up, and I thought, what in the world? She jumps up, runs to the other room, comes back with what looked to me like a vinyl diaper bag. And I thought, I, I'm, I'm, I'm losing it here. I just don't get it. And she began to unpack her di vinyl diaper bag, and in it was a towel and, and uh, a, a thing of lotion and a bar of soap and a bottle of aspirin. And, and she says, this is my medical bag. And I said, what? She said, well, a few years ago, she said, uh, when, uh, when World Vision came to our village, um, they, some of them asked me whether I would be a health worker, a local health worker. And she said, I was assigned 10 HIV, people who are dying of HIV, dying of AIDS. She said, you know, my HIV is controlled. I'm on antiretroviral drugs. My, my son, who's also HIV positive, he's okay too. But she says, we've got a lot of people who are dying around here. She said, I got a bicycle and a medical bag and the opportunity to go twice a week after I, after I get, get in from the fields and to care for people who are dying. She says, isn't God good? And Emily and I didn't know what to say except, could we pray for you? And she said, oh yeah, if, if I can pray for you. And we knelt at the little table in the middle of her room, this tiny little room, and we prayed for her and she prayed for us and then we left and we are weeping as we walk down this little rocky path. And finally I stopped Emily in the middle of the path and I said, Emily, we have just met one of the great saints. And I remembered the words of Bruce Larson, one of the, one of the little illustrations that he used 163 years ago when he was here. When he, when he talked about, about being around, uh, about, around people who were like the, uh, the advanced scouts in the wagon train. And, he, and I said to Emily, we have just met one of the advanced scouts who's gone way ahead of our little wagon train of, of faith that's just kind of bumping along and doing its thing. And, and this person has come back and said, you know what? The road is long and hard and sometimes really difficult. But God is there. This woman had discovered that in serving God and walking off the map and heeding the, the call to serve others, God had brought new hope and healing and redemption to her life. She walked right off a map. Lord God, would you help us to be people who listen, who respond, who when you nudge us with those little nudges would be willing to walk off the maps of our lives? And would you meet us there? Lord, we cannot go alone. In Jesus' name, amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.